My mission is to position brands and to facilitate earning opportunities by helping them identify and strategically communicate their what, their who, and their why. I make sure you understand the play. Here's your assist. Understanding the play with Demetrius L. Brown, aka the business point guard. How's everybody doing today? That's right, you're tuned into Understanding the Play. I am Demetrius L. Brown, aka the business point guard. And I want to thank you for joining me for my show today. Again, it's going to be jam-packed. We have a lot of information that's going to take you from great to greater. Today, we are talking about mental illness. I know when you hear the word mental illness, you only think of it from from two perspectives. That's crazy or bipolar. But mental illness, it don't have nothing to do with being crazy. It just don't have nothing to do with being bipolar. It's different areas of mental illness. And guess what? It's curable. It's curable. And how how do we get through that point of being cured through what we're going through that's causing us to go through mental illness? It's going through counseling. We can't be scared to go to counseling. We have to be counseled when we're going through things. But my guest today, Wesley Jackson Wade, man, he is a licensed mental health counselor and he deals with every area being from ADHD, being from autism and different things that's dealing with mental illness. So again, I need you to call your mama, your daddy, your best friend, even call your enemy. Tell them, hey, you, you need to listen to this show because you might be going through something and you might not recognize it, but it might be mental illness. You might be going through some depression. You might be going just, you just, you just need something to get motivated. You know, sometimes that's dealing with mental illness, you know, again, mental illness sometimes. And again, I'm not the doctor, but we will talk to the doctor. The, the specialist soon comes from the things that you've been through in life. And I'm going to tell you, when I was dealing with mental illness, it came through it from my childhood and the things that I was dealing through, um, you know, from abandonment issues, different things like that. But I want you all to keep it locked because, again, I'm bringing doctor. I'm, I'm going to say doctor because guess what? He's working on this Ph.D. I'm going to go ahead and speak that in existence. He's a doctor, Wesley Jackson Wade. So keep it locked. All right. And we, we're bringing in Dr. Wade. Hey, are you following me on social media? You're not? Oh, no. You're missing out on a lot of info. Hey, check this out. Follow me on all social medias. Instagram, The Business Point God. YouTube, The Business Point God. And Facebook, Demetrius L. Brown, SOG. Make sure you're following me. You're listening to Understanding the Play with Demetrius L. Brown, a.k.a. The Business Point Guard. Hey, I want to thank everybody for joining me. I told you I had a very special guest. Hey, so before you was in the green room and I called you doctor, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, I, I went <laughs> ahead and, and spoke it into existence because you're working on it, man. But I have my special guest, Wesley Jackson Wade. How you doing, man? I'm, I'm doing wonderful, man. I'm seeing the sun is shining. I'm feeling good. 
And you know what? I'm gonna receive that, man. I don't I don't have a PhD yet. I'm in what we call ABD, all but dissertation. I have completed everything I need to do. I just need to finish my dissertation research project here. Hopefully that'll be done in 2024. It's been a lot going on, but you know what? There's been a lot of growth. There's been wonderful things, man. So I'm doing I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing, brother? I'm doing great. Hey, I want I want to stay right there, right? You say there's a lot of things going on, but you just acknowledge there's some growth. And we as we as individuals, we gotta acknowledge the little growth. Everything is a victory. Everything going to that next level is a victory. So in your area of profession, and we're going to, you know, I just want to stay right here. How important is it for people just to acknowledge that just a little bit of growth that they make or accomplishments that they do? Yeah. So like, I love looking at the silver lining and things we say, right? So there's always a lesson there and I can always receive something from that lesson. At the same time, like my background as a, a licensed clinical mental health counselor tells me that I also have to acknowledge the pain that's there. Like we have to acknowledge the pain. We have to embrace that pain. We have to understand what that pain means for us in our lives in order to see that path that's forward. Right. And when we see that path that is forward, we say, oh, OK, this is this. I I, I don't want to experience that pain again. <laughs> it was painful. It hurt. It was real. But. I see a way forward. And that is that growth that I'm talking about, right? It's it's the ability to, within the pain, recognize the pain, own it. Don't disregard it. Don't say that it's not really there, right? But to own it and to, in that moment of owning it, you get to unpack yourself. You get to learn more about yourself. You get to grow in ways that you didn't know was possible. That's good. So with all that said, man, it sounds like... You in some type of you in some type of mental health field or something, man. You know, something like you're, you're a counselor <laughs> something like or something. You know, that's what it sounds like. Let the people know what you do and what qualify you to do what you do. Right. You know, that's a it's an interesting way when I when I frame it like that, right? What qualifies? Because I have licenses and credentials, right? I have a bachelor's degree in sociology. I have a master's degree in clinical mental health counseling from North Carolina Central University, HBCU right here in Durham. I have another master's degree in career counseling also from North Carolina Central University. And I am, and I got those in December, 2016. I have been a practicing licensed clinical mental health counselor since then. I am also a licensed clinical addiction specialist and I'm working on a PhD in educational leadership, policy, human development with a concentration in counselor education. It's a mouthful, man. I, I really don't even like saying all that because it sounds it sounds pretentious sometimes. Right. Like I'm and I'm not a pretentious person. But at the same time, folks need to understand that there is a lot of work that went into this. But yeah. at the same time, I'm someone who barely graduated from undergrad. Right. I had to figure myself out. And that process that I was just telling you about, like through the pain, being able to acknowledge what is going on with you, being able to probe a little bit deeper. I've been very curious about why am I doing certain things? Why could I understand the, the assignments when I was in undergrad, but then I barely graduated? Right. I'm like there, there's more there. So I started unpacking that. And that's how I went through career transformations. And I came to the point I'm at now where I'm wrapping up a Ph.D. at, a you know, a, a uh, premier like land grant university here in North Carolina, right? At NC state university. So, you know, uh, that's what gives me that background, right? That's what gives me the credentials as far as the world is concerned, 
but I'm a, I'm a black man. I'm 41 years old. I know my history. I have a, a multitude of experiences. My lived experience as a black man on this planet is what qualifies <laughs> me in addition to all that. Right. And I and I want to emphasize that because sometimes we don't credit that 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 love and that nurturing wisdom that we got from grandma and pot and, 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 good. and everyone else. Right. That that's a lot of what I do in this mental health work is those lessons that I learned from my elders. I started learning my master's, my PhD. Man, they were right. That's <laughs> they good. were right. So, so now a lot of people might feel like, man, he he's just overstacking. He he has all these degrees. He overstacking. He's trying to over. I am. <laughs> <laughs> to some degree, I am. I didn't mean to cut you off, but to some degree, I'm I'm an honest person, man. I am yeah. very honest. But but you said something key a few minutes ago. You said but the things that you've been through and the areas you've been through in life, that's one of the reasons why you, you're getting all these degrees. So, cause you know that to open certain doors, you have to be qualified or you just have to have that piece of paper. And I tell people, you can't make a difference in life if you can't get into, into the door in the area you're trying to make a difference in. So, you know, I applaud you for taking the time to do this. And again, yeah, it might be overstacking. It might be whatever you call it, but guess what? You can overstack and get in that door. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. So let me, let me give you some context for that because a big piece with me is that two things can be true. Multiple things can be true at once. Right. And at the same time that I am overstacking <laughs> this, the, these degrees, if you think about like the college dropout album, Back in the early 2000s, like these best degrees, album he ever put out. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> oh, by far, easy. That's not even a debate, right? So, at least in my opinion, that's not. Yeah. I, I fully agree with that. So, like, I I knew some things about my background. I'm originally from Maryland. Both sides of my mom, and my my uh, father's family are in Maryland. We know a lot about my family's history. I could go into that for hours, but. I had some pride. I had some confidence in knowing my my the roots of some of my blackness. Right. Right. We couldn't go that far back. We could go a few generations back. That gave me some confidence. So that allowed me to look at some of these situations that I got into in school and say, wait a minute, I'm not I'm not dumb. I'm not stupid. I'm not just careless. These teachers are telling me that. But there's a lot more going on. And so I kept challenging it instead of believing those narratives. So I, I said earlier, I barely graduated from undergrad. I make that a point so people can say the, the story's not over for them. I graduated from college with a 2.2 GPA from the same university. I'm now getting a Ph.D. from. Wow. So what does that tell you about GPA? Right. GPA is important. Like, don't run out here and say I can get a trash GPA because, you know, Wesley Way said I could. <laughs> right. Like, don't say that. <laughs> But like the G, we, we oversell the importance of the GPA, the experience, the knowledge, the lessons that are behind it is what it's really about. And so even though I had that low GPA, I figured my way out to here. So what happened is I got stuck in a career that taught me a lot. I wouldn't I don't want to experience it again, but I learned a lot about my skills, about business. I was in a corporate business to business sales career for approximately 10 years. And I made some good money. I bought a home. I got stuck in the housing recession. I went in a horrible debt from that, right? Because I had to get out of that situation. I got married during that time when I was in that career. And I'm still married to the same wonderful woman now. And so, but I was trying to figure myself out. I was getting fired from jobs. I'm getting arguments with my managers, right? 
I'm this, I'm, I'm not small, but I'm not, I'm, I'm not huge, but I'm not small either, man. So like, I'm, you know, I, I feel intimidating to a lot of these white managers is this black confident man who's like, no, you're not going to talk to me like that. Right. But at the same time, I didn't have the leverage to really negotiate my, my earnings, my, my autonomy in the professional field that I wanted because I didn't have that leverage of a degree or experience that I really wanted. Right. And so that's when I started networking. I started going out there and talking to friends and family, people who had what I say, like jobs or vocations or trades that they owned. Right. And that's always been really important in the black. So community. So, so basically you 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 seeing you seeing yourself being imprisoned by your capabilities or by, you know, it's like, OK, hold on. I'm imprisoning myself. It ain't that manager or that person. It's me because I limited myself here with the knowledge and education and different things. So you were like, hold on, you know what? I got to do something different. So let me ask you a question with the G with your GPA at a two point, uh, you said 2.2, 2 point, 2 point? Mm -hmm. 2.2. That was my cumulative GPA when I graduated. So did somebody, did your family try to talk, man, you can't go get your, your PhD, your master's. Did you have a lot of people trying to talk you out of that saying you finna go waste your money? Well, no. Uh, cause at, at one point, uh, I mean, I'm probably known to be very outspoken in my family. So, <laughs> so people probably don't want to hear my mouth half the time. That's probably, that's probably part of it. The other part is there was a long time. I mean, um, I started my my PhD in 2018. Okay. I, f I graduated from undergrad in 05. So there was a long, long time between, I mean, over 10 years between those points in time. So, you know, I was in my 30s at that point in time. I, I, um, I, was, I had been married for several years at that point in time. We had already had our first child at that point. So as far as my family is concerned, I'm a grown man doing my own thing. You can't tell me nothing. I mean, that was, that was kind of the perspective. Yeah. Now I know yeah. people had their thoughts and feelings about it because it was evident in the tonalities and the looks and the things that they would mention, <laughs> but you know, you know, everybody's got, so, everybody's got their opinion. <laughs> so, you know, let's, 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 let's move on a little bit. So now what, what was that area a mental illness what was that first area in the mental Ill illness um um area that you was like okay it clicked for you i need to i need to go ahead and start counseling i needed to get get a degree which one of the and if i'm not saying it right i guess which one of the behaviors or what is it the different areas of mental illness what, it, what how would y'all classify that yeah, like different areas of mental health or, or mental yes. health conditions. There's a bunch of ways to frame it. And so I just want to say this. Don't don't worry about saying the exact correct thing or anything like that. The, the point is, is that we learn. Right. I, I say things wrong all the time and I'm a licensed professional and I learn like why was it wrong and why and why this you know should have been corrected in another way. So like don't don't worry about that because and, th and there's also different opinions. Some people use the term like mental health disorders. I don't tend to use the word disorders because I want to center people's strengths. Right. I want to look at what are your strengths. We get told, especially as black people, about our deficits a lot. And when we talk about mental illness, it's a focus on deficits. Right. And so if you have anxiety, which I do, if you have depression, which I do, if you're ADHD, which I am, if you're dyslexic, which I am, if you're autistic, which I probably am too, you also have a lot of strengths, right? And so we don't need to always focus on all these deficits. We need to understand our strengths. 
So what I say is I have to look at my strengths. So that same, that work scenario I was telling you about, I got pigeonholed in a career, right? And I was saying these people made me uh, not understand my strengths. I'm not leveraging my strengths because people are putting their expectations on me. I got to figure out a way to get out of this. It's better for me to be broke and get out of this because I can make money is just a tool. It, it's, it's always going to be there. Like I can always get more. So I, I severed my whole career as a you know full time working professional because I'm like, I need to go back from the beginning and redevelop my strengths. And that's when I reconnected with a former professor who taught African-American psychology. She was actually getting her Ph.D. in the same program now, black woman. And she was teaching at North Carolina Central University. Mm. We connected at church, this church I used to go to years ago. And she said, well, why don't you come over here and take one of these special student classes for the master's program in counseling? You, you don't have to officially be in the program. You just get to pay money to take up to three classes in any of these master's degrees that you want. If you do well, you can apply to that program and the classes count towards your degree. Most graduate programs have something like that. They might call it special student classes. They might call it um, certificate programs, but they'll do something like that. And that's just a knowledge. I didn't know that that option was there until I went out in the world and said, let me figure out something for myself. And I can't do this all by myself. There's all these people that, <laughs> that are all around me. They have their own experience, their own brilliance. So I talked to this black woman who said, hey, this is what you got to do, brother. And, 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 and that's really how it started, right? And so that was like 2012, 2013. So then I'm focusing on my strengths. I'm in my master's program at North Carolina Central University. I'm getting my master's degrees. And that's when I first got into this mental health field and started focusing on strengths. That's good that you said that, you know, you we, we encourage people. I listen to motivational speakers. I listen to managers and it's like, okay, we got to work on our weaknesses, work on our weaknesses. But, you know, I was looking at a video and it's like, if you really help people to magnify their strengths, they, I, their weaknesses will dissolve, you know, their weaknesses will go away. And because again, if you're focusing on their strengths, that means they're getting better in, in areas. But hey, if you just tuned in, you're listening to Understanding the Play. I am Demetrius L. Brown, aka the business point guard. I have my man Wesley Jackson Wade on the, um, well, let me back up. Doctor, he because he said he received that. <laughs> received that. I, I don't want anyone seeing this thing. I'm trying to yeah. represent myself. But, they, they, <laughs> but they, I appreciate that. <laughs> but yeah, so again, I mean, I, I want you all, I'm finna tell I'm finna go into a break and I want you all to go tell somebody that you know we're talking about the different areas of mental illness, and we're talking about it not from someone who just went to school who got a degree, but he's actually living it. He just told y'all he got ADHD. He, he told y'all he, he, he has, well, he, he, I don't know if he's clinical, you know, say artism, you know, uh, all those, all those things. He, he's going through these different things in life. And it's, and it's not just, he got a degree. He went, he read the book and they read studies. No, he's living it. And again, he decided to go get a degree so he can empower other people who are going through it as he's going through it. But I'm going to take a break and we're going to come back with Wesley Wade. The soundtrack to your next levels here. The new single assist by the business point guard. Here's your assist, your assist, your assist, your assist. The business point guard, he, he gave me an assist. The business point guard. 
The song is sis. It's motivation taken to the next level with tools that'll help you go from great to greater and a hype beat produced by Skaz Digger. Add the hottest motivational song on the planet, a sis, to your favorite playlist today. Go to businesspointguard.com and download the soundtrack to your next level. Now, y'all need to go get that soundtrack to your next level, okay? <laughs> but again, man, hey, um, I got a very special guest, uh, Wesley Jackson Wade. And again, he is a licensed clinical mental health counselor. And again, like I said before we went on break, he's just not, he's just not learned. He's living it. He's been going through it. And he's been going through it before he went back to go get his degree. So that you that you've been living through, like you said, you don't want to call them disorders, but you know, for the people that's listening, let's let's use the word disorders just this one time. That you that you are lived and living through the disorders. How easy is it for you to sit in class and listen to people talk about it from a book perspective, but not from an actual perspective? Is that hard for you to just sit there? incredibly complicated incredibly <laughs> difficult <laughs> like I, I i i can't do it i'm gonna be vocal but also at this point in time i have enough um background enough experience enough credentials that i i get to advocate i get to interrupt and i get a challenge during uh workshops and classes such as that and uh i enjoy getting to do that at this point in my career that that's good so which now you said you you uh you have adhd uh what what are the other um a lot of things we so we call all that stuff neurodivergence um it, there's a there's a lot of like talk to get into right i'm not going to get into all those details about it but so, so, uh, so, so back up so right quick so what are the things that we go we talk about daily that you, that fits in the category you just said um <sighs> Autism, ADHD, dyslexia, uh, dyspraxia, Tourette's syndrome. Some people consider bipolar uh, disorder as part of that as well. Some people consider depression and anxiety as part of that as well. Neurodivergence is essentially any neurological condition, meaning anything that we say is in the brain, any condition or disorder that is in the brain, it's neurological but there is also a strength element with it as well. So a lot of times anxiety anxiety and depression, you can get a lot of clarity and a lot of insight about situations from anxiety and depression. It's not only a weakness, right? There is a weakness to it. There is a disorder element to it. Um, the Me framing it as condition is just part of like my militants essentially of saying, no, we need to look at the strengths in this too. And pe people have been doing, black psychologists have been doing this honestly, since like the 40s and 50s, saying we need to look at strengths. There's not one way to rule them all when we talk about people's mental health. Uh, people are individuals, different communities are uh, have their own practices, right? And so that's what we're really talking about. But I am ADHD. I have a clinical diagnosis in that. I'm dyslexic. Um, autism is a much more broader concept than we tend to understand, right? There's this thing called Asperger's uh, but it doesn't technically exist anymore. There's this big book that we use to diagnose all this stuff called the DSM. We're currently in the DSM-5. When I was in my master's program, it was the DSM-4. 
when it went from four to five, there's certain things that changed because we don't fully understand what neurodivergence is with autism, ADHD, and all this stuff is. We know something about it, but we don't really know what it is fully. So the definitions of it change. So let me interrupt you. Now, who who are doing all the tests? Are, are, are the tests being done across nationalities, white, black, Asians, Hispanics? Because honestly, when I see commercials, I only see white and black people. I don't see I don't see Asians. I don't see uh, Hispanics. So who, who are conducting the tests and who are they conducting the test on to come up with the information that they're coming up with? Mm -hmm. Right. That's a perfect question. Right. So the majority of the people who are conducting these tests and assessments, whether it's research or whether it's for diagnosis or white clinicians. Right. And it depends on what field, if it's a medical field, then it's going to be typically white male clinicians. If it's a mental health field uh, like therapy, uh, counseling, you know, psychology, which is not medical yet. Right. So then it's typically going to be white women who are doing that. Right. Uh, the field that I'm in in counseling, it's like 70% white women approximately, right? Uh, it's only maybe a somewhere around like 10% men in the field. And of that 10%, I think like black men are like 5% or something like wow. that. So, you know, I, people who look like us were a small percentage of this. And this is something I want to tell people. Like, this is why I'm very open about my experience. We need more black clinicians, black researchers to help push the research agenda with this, right? So that's one reason why I'm getting my PhD, so we can help to make uh, modalities, interventions that are designed by us and that are designed for us, right? So <laughs> if I'm doing a research study, I'm gonna make sure, like my dissertation, for example, my dissertation is a research project. That research project is going to be on black adults. And I wanna get black adults who don't have ADHD and autism and all that stuff. And I wanna get black adults who do. And I wanna get black adults who think that they might and aren't really sure. And they're gonna take some, uh, they're gonna answer some questions. It's gonna look at their work behaviors, like experiences that they've had at work, uh, their relationship with racism and how all this stuff intersects. And then from that, we get to see, this is what's going on with black folks in this area. And I'm not comparing black people to white people. I'm comparing black people to black people, right? That doesn't happen that often. It happens for white people in research all the time, right? Yeah. At multitude. But we're just a smaller percentage in this field from uh, a multitude of systemic realities, right? And so what happens is we don't have enough data. We don't have enough practitioners. We don't have enough money that is injected into this fuel the people who are there. State That's the narrative we need to change. All of let us me, let me interrupt you right quick. Let's, you said the word data. Is it that is it fair to say we don't have enough data because let's say for the black community that they they're scared or people gonna get in my business or this and that you know how can we ease that black community to say okay hey it's all right to go through these studies to go through these tests how can because again if we don't really know how can we get more money allocated how can we get more doctor services allocated so how do we ease that to say okay it's all right to take part of these tests right so i would say one part is there are plenty of black folks just like me just like a bunch of my colleagues who are out here doing these tests we're out here doing these assessments and all this research and we want to align ourselves with people who are present in our community what we notice as black practitioners and black researchers is when we are doing this research, we tend to be involved 
in the community. We're not doing research from afar of saying this community should do X, but we know nothing about that community. When black researchers researchers are getting involved, excuse me, what we see is that black folks are very willing to get engaged with research. Black folks are very willing to take part in all this because that trust is there. Black folks have been marginalized from the medical community, so they're protective of it. So what I say to black folks is, number one, I agree with your suspicions and frustrations. <laughs> number two, there's a lot of us who are in this field. So when you see people in the community who are, who are not just there to collect data, but are there trying to help, who are there offering services, these are people, potentially, typically, that we can trust, that we can start to trust, that we can let some of those defenses down so we can get engaged with some of the research that they're doing. If you just see someone who pops up, they've never been there before, and they're just trying to collect data, you say no, and you never see or hear from them from them again, then you know that was <laughs> probably someone you don't want to be engaged with, because they're going to try to say, this is what you should do, and they know nothing about your life and experience. So, because data play an important role to how much money is allocated even to our younger kids, right? And 100%. Yeah. Okay. So, like now, and I know you... Well, you might have the number, but, you know, roughly off your head, if you take the you take the black community, white community, Hispanic community and Asian community. What what's the highest percentage of I don't want to say diagnosis. It, I don't know if I want to if I'm questioning it right. But what what's the highest number of diagnosis between the the races? Do you if you. I'm not familiar with what that is at this point in time. Uh, it's a layered issue, right? And it's going to be different in different uh, in certain localities and stuff. But when you look at it across the nation, there's this issue where black folks get simultaneously misdiagnosed, overdiagnosed and underdiagnosed. Right. And there's differences between how adults and children get diagnosed. And there's differences between how adolescents and children and adolescents and adults get diagnosed. And so there's all these nuances that make the issue of diagnosis so problematic for black folks specifically. And honestly, the reality is diagnosis is an issue for the majority of people, especially uh, black and brown folks and women, especially black and brown folks, especially black folks. Like it always keeps going down to this funnel of who experiences this issue the most. There's a lot of um, undiagnosed black folks, right? There's a lot of undiagnosed people, period, but there's a there's an even higher number of undiagnosed and misdiagnosed black folks. There's this mental health condition called oppositional defiant disorder. In my opinion, it is um, modern day drapedomania. Drapedomania is a mate, I mean, all this is made up, but is a made up term from a physician named white physician named Samuel Cartwright from the late 1800s who said that um or mid 1800s who said that black in uh, black people who were enslaved who wanted to run away and were trying to run away from these plantations and and, and fighting for their freedom that they had this disease called drapedomania that made people not want to work this is this is this is how we right it's absolutely ridiculous right 
Um, and it's a racist. Hello, young people, if you're listening, we're not talking about Drake, the musician. Okay, but go ahead. <laughs> not go Drake. Ahead. <laughs> there actually is a podcast <laughs> now called Drapedomaniacs, where there's a and, and it's modeled after this. I'm what I'm talking about is not some obscure piece of history, right? That we need to know our history. So oppositional defiant disorder, why I say it's modern day drapedomania is because it's disproportionately its diagnosis rate is black boys, right? So essentially, anytime a black boy expresses any kind of emotion that is taken as um, loud or aggressive by um, you know anyone else, they'll say, oh, well, he's probably got oppositional defiant disorder. And that diagnosis sticks with them for a long time. Um, and that, and it's, it's, it's really just bull crap in my opinion. It's, it's just a way to say this person is just loud. They're probably ADHD. They probably are autistic. They're just, they're probably just angry at racism. Right. So there's, there's a lot of things in there. Or you're probably not teaching. They already learned what you taught and they, and they skill level. They just they're bored. bored. Yeah. <laughs> they're bored. Yeah. Right. But that was me when I was in middle school. 100%. So, yes. Right. So what are you, so as you know, in your profession, what are you all doing to, I guess, to get into the classrooms to actually train teachers and the, um, the administrators, because again, teachers are faulted for giving young, young boys, these labels. Oh, you, like you just said, they, they, their behavior problem, you know, this, they, that. And so guess what? They're in that school for five years and that one teacher done labeled them. So they be getting labeled, but are, is there, are they implementing more training into schools for teachers and administrators? So what's, what do we have to look forward to moving forward? You know? Yeah. Uh, a little bit of everything, right. But it's always that push and pull of resources. And it's, this is why we need more black professionals in areas like this. So for example, in May of this year, I did a professional development workshop for public school teachers at this elementary school in DC, right? It's a almost all black elementary school, right? And they had a certain population of kids who also had disabilities there. And I was doing a workshop in combination with some other black professionals who work in mental health and education, doing a, doing a workshop about this, helping to teach teachers in that skill that costs money. Right. And I don't, I, I, um, it's a hard balance because there's, I want to be able to serve the community and by the community, I mean, black folks specifically, I serve everyone, but my primary focus in my life at this point is on black folks is helping black folks understand these dynamics, getting treatment, getting help, uh, helping to build business and professional programs at existing organizations that benefit black folks in this area. Right. But the issue with that is it needs money. Right. I, ha I have bills to pay. I have a business. I got rent. I got everything else. I got two kids. I got a wife. Right. Wife makes more money than me. We still we still need money. Right. And so what happens is these um, organizations like mine or like uh, other folks who have larger uh, organizations as well, we, we get strapped by funding. Right that black school is not getting the same resources to pay for workshops like this is like the white private school or the white charter school down the street. And so they're going to look for these resources and they got to pay people like us. Well, one, you got to find us, right? And then you got to pay us and we negotiate rates down. And so money becomes this issue of both helping and hindering the, the, the advancement of causes like this, right? And so we, there's a lot of organizations that are philanthropic and, uh, 
certain celebrities and other folks that have money they want to donate. These these are the areas that you invest money into uh, within the community because it requires uh, leverage and autonomy, which requires resources. Now, that, that's good. And we, if you just tuned in, you're listening to Understanding the Play. I am Demetrius L. Brown, a.k.a. the Business Point Guard. And we have Mr. Wesley Jackson Wade, licensed clinical medical health counselor. And again, we just we're talking about the areas of and, and I want to change this because throughout the whole program, I, I've been saying mental illness, but it's mental health. And so please forgive me on if you're listening, please forgive me out there because I know people do take that seriously, you know? So, um, you know, I want to say mental, mental health. Um, you just talked about money funds. Is this one of the lowest areas that money is raised because it's not cute to people? You know, it's, they can't get their name on it or it takes longer to come up with cures or even come up with certain things to help being from kids, adults, and, and um, whoever is dealing with this mental health? Yeah, definitely. I mean, anything that is around our mental health, and I would say then education. Education is probably at the bottom, right? I mean, public school teachers need to be paid a lot more. They would be uh, uh, at a higher level of crisis in terms of money that's needed, in my opinion. But this is a huge area. There's not... See, there is funding that goes into mental health, but that funding gets controlled and that funding goes to certain organizations that typically are more white or they have white leadership. Right. Um, or they're just these larger organizations that already have a lot of resources. Right. And there becomes a hoarding of those resources. So your midsize and smaller organizations like mine where we, we fight for these resources, we find creative ways because black folks have always find found creative ways to thrive in this country. Right. We find creative ways to uh, to thrive and find new areas of business. So like for me, one of the areas that I go into to help generate more income so I can do community wellness projects is, is what I like to refer to that as, excuse me, is I do like organizational consulting. So for-profit businesses, non-profit businesses, if they want to do uh, learning and development or they want to do some internal consulting to say, how do we enhance DEI initiatives? How do we um, improve our uh, recruiting and our talent acquisition to be more diverse in a multitude of ways? I help organizations do that. And that money, that it's a lot of work. It's a high level of work and that costs a high dollar value. So that I don't make a ton of money. Okay. I make enough money to survive and, and have some, some niceties here, but that money gets fueled into the private practice side of my business where I do mental health counseling and I can do what's called a sliding scale. So, you know, my regular rate is like 175 an hour, but if you have an issue with income, we can work on a lower price because I'm getting money from these other areas. Uh, in 2024, my business partner and I are going to do some community wellness initiatives, like a, a Black Mother's Day initiative uh, here in Durham and a Black Father's Day initiative here in Durham and another project that uh, I, I can't talk about yet because it, it yeah. was still uh, I, I'm getting scared, which lets me know that I need to do it. Right. Like <laughs> you got to get scared a little bit by your dreams. Yeah. Right. And so those initiatives are going to be free for the people who are attending. Right. And that, that means that we're fronting the cost. So we got to work on sponsors and the amount that we got to pay. And that comes from the consulting, but we still need more, right? This is, this is just the yes. creativity and the brilliance of black business out here. It's like, we find ways to survive and thrive, but we still need 
more into this area so that we can do more teaching, so we can offer more resources for free, so that I can say, hey, I'm going to take the month off of May and just go to a bunch of local schools and do workshops for, for free. You know, I would love to do that, but I, I got bills to pay. Right? Oh, yeah, now that, that that's good. And like, so like for our nonprofit, I have a nonprofit and, you, you know, I do the business classes under the nonprofit, but we have a program called Planning for Life. So mm -hmm. we use the whole gardening concepts to do to uh, to focus on uh, focus on mental health, um, counseling, different things. So um, we go to we've been going to school. So the last school we went to was in High Point. So we helped them create um, gardeners that can create ink for the kids. Um, then we also uh, one of the teachers died. Um, they want to um, do a gazebo. So different things like that with the planning for life. And we, we're kicking it back off this year. So that was one of the things that we're, we're kicking back off. Um, and the funny thing is I had more people want to volunteer for planning for life than getting than the Durham Business Network and getting their business in order. But that's cool, <laughs> though. I, I'm not, you know, but um, but let's let's you know, we have a little time left. Let's talk about mental health across that across the generations so we talk about kids a lot but we missed the conversation on adults and senior citizens mm. now and i want to skip to the seniors it's how how are seniors being dealt with when it comes to mental health mental illness because people look at oh they're old or they they're not gonna be around longer but guess what the time that they're around, they still need that assistance. So are there programs for elderly people who are dealing with mental health issues? I know that there are some, but I don't know any off the top of my head by name. Um, the way that our elderly are being handled and dealt with when it comes to their mental health and mental illness, because at that point it really is um, in a multitude of ways, it's, it's not compassionate. It's lacking a lot of sensitivity. It's lacking a lot of basic dignity, in my opinion. Our, our elderly are a wealth of knowledge and wisdom for us and guidance. They have been through what we have been through already and worse, right? Yeah, there's some things that we get to go through that they haven't experienced, but it's still just humans in a different situation, in the same situation with a few different variables, right? Like learning how to use an iPhone, right? And dealing with, you know, having too many emails well, you know, my great grandma was telling me about how when how she ran away from a car the first time she saw one, she thought it was the devil trying to get her. You know, like like, <laughs> like cars were invented when she was alive. You know, so I mean, they had their own things that they learned. I we we there's so much that we can get in terms of how do we how do we manage our mental health? Um, I would love to be able to go back in time and talk to my older relatives, um, knowing some of the stories I know now about their life and how it is very similar to mine and say, Hey, when, when you dealt with that loss, what did you do to keep going? Right. Yeah. I, I always respected the way that you work, Pepe, uh, my, my maternal grandfather. Uh, how did you, how did you keep pushing even though you went through so much and hearing that from those older folks in our lives is critically important, but we, a lot of times we put folks in homes, right. Or they're distant or they're away or we limit their voices, we limit their influence, we just, you know, let them just sit around and just watch TV instead of being active. Our brains need to be active. 
whether it's board games, crossword puzzles, walking, conversations with friends, reading books, watching informational videos, learning a new language using a, a, a free app on your phone, our brains need to be in motion. I love. I have a tomato and pepper garden right back here in my backyard, and my dad has a miniature uh, apple orchard in his yard. Like that stuff is intriguing to me. I learn yes. new areas of science and growth. We have to keep our brains stimulated throughout our life. That helps us to stay healthy and alive. It helps us to solve problems. We we need to do that. Yeah, now that that's good. So if you're listening and you know someone elderly. That I mean, might be lonely, might not. They might have a bunch of kids, but still might not be getting that attention, you know, to do something for them. I mean, I know when the day of time we can't just knock on people's doors or do, you know, saying put a card in a mailbox or something. But, you know, we have to take care of the elderly just like we take care of the youth. And I don't care if they got I don't care if they 99. They still they still should be able to have their mental health dealt with just like someone who was 20, 30 or, or whatever. So, you know, but um, I got, I, a, I got a story for you talking about this. Now th I don't consider this person elderly, but they are a senior citizen. Technically I was coming back from a business trip. Right. And I had rented uh, an EV, this little Mustang EV. It was really fun to drive around. So we stopped in Richmond with my buddy, we charging up the vehicle and I see this older brother. Now, I found out that he was 77 years old, 77 year old brother. He had his veteran head on. He was dressed smooth and he was in a Cadillac Lyric. It's Cadillac's e uh, SUV electric <laughs> vehicle. Right. And he was this 77 year old man learning how to work this electric vehicle. Wow. Right. Navigating all the apps with his iPhone. I said, I, you know, we did the black man nod. And I said, hey, sir, very good to see you. I was like, hey, so instead of just leaving it there. I went a little extra because the onus is on me as, as the way that I see it as being part of the younger generation. That's good. Hey, sir, that is a smooth looking vehicle right there. That thing is nice. Oh, thank you, young blood. I like what you got there. Oh, no, mine's a rental. I think that's yours. Yeah, yeah, this is mine. <laughs> I just got it. Man, I see you got your veteran head there, too. Yeah, you know, that. You know, I just, I've been all over the place now. This is my fun toy. I just been learning about this. I got this about a week ago. Oh, man, tell me about this, because I want to convince my parents. They're in their mid-60s. I want to convince them to start getting uh, some electric vehicles and exploring technology more. Oh, man, it ain't no problem. Look, this is how I do I learned about staying youthful, right? This man was 77. You know you know how we age. This brother yeah, looked like yeah. he was in his 50s, right? And he was, <laughs> he was energetic. He was happy. Man, you know, you talk to like some 30 year old brothers, they're not going to be that vulnerable. Just like, hey, I'll just have a conversation with this random person. He taught me something about life in that moment, about appreciating the moment. He taught me about staying in touch with technology and expanding your mind. Right. This is this is an example of some of those lessons that we miss when we're not engaging with our, with, with our elderly folks. That's good, man. That's that's good, man. Yeah, yeah. I bet that was a great conversation too. <laughs> it was, it was, man. I, I, it was really I, stuff like that makes me smile, man. Because I, um, my last grandparent, my grandma died uh, last year in June, twenty twenty two, and I don't have any grandparents in this world anymore, man. I miss, I miss my uh, grandparents. I had almost all my grandparents. I had multiple great grandparents. I got a lot of wisdom from them. A lot of the work I do now is from that wisdom I got from them, and I. I miss having those conversations, man. I really do. You sound like my, my wife say the same thing. I, my grandma is 99. So, mm. you know, um, 
Man, mm. I, it's 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 a blessing, you know. What I'm saying I get to pray with her, she get to pray with me, we get to do things, you know, and she's still in the right mind. So, you know, um, we we're gonna we're gonna hang out with her at 99. You know, everybody wait to the hundred. So we're gonna go hang out with her for her 99th birthday. Uh take the kids, you know. So my my younger kids that they were able to to meet her, to see her, to hear her talk, you know. So mm -hmm. yeah, I tell people you got grandparents still alive, man. Take advantage of that so yeah like, um man so let people know how they can get in touch with you man um you know they can see below one of your sites at the bottom that you use but let people know how they can get in touch with you being from your business or just want to say hey i got some i want to pick your brain i want to bring you to here or i want to donate let, let people know yeah well uh you can go to my business page which is at the bottom uh f cc-plc.com forward counseling and consulting. Uh, you can also find me on LinkedIn. If you uh, look up Wesley Wade on LinkedIn, you'll see my mug under there. You'll see um, my acronyms <laughs> or my, my, my initials, rather my licensed clinical mental health counselor and stuff. You can also find me on Twitter at, uh, at Wes underscore Wade. And I got all my links on there as well. And uh, Twitter, you know, I, I I keep it light on Twitter, but I do share some good mental health content as well. well but it's you not a such thing as Twitter no more. It's X. <laughs> Man, I, I I will never I will never respect <laughs> that, that name change. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <laughs> But now nah, that that's good, man. Hey, hey, it's it's great to have you on. Great to have this conversation. And again, you know, um. Once we get the studio, I needed to be. We're gonna bring in the studio. We, you know, we we gonna we gonna bring. Matter of fact, we gonna we gonna bring a whole group of people. We we, we gonna have a conversation, bring them in the studio. We we gonna do some some great work because again, <clears throat> you know, my my kids range from six to thirty one, and and we're talking about dealing with a lot of stuff out here. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, I, I I need to take some notes from you. I need to take some notes from you. Well, but so, you know yeah, what, man? Look, I don't want to interrupt you, but I but I'm going to because that's another beautiful lesson in mental health of black men acknowledging each other. You and I, we work in the same building. We have our businesses in the same building. I ran yeah. into well, I know you you all over the place. You got multiple <laughs> things. I'm I'm I got one spot, right? And so I saw you there. We made conversation and we connected, right? And I, this is, yes, this is the way that we need to understand how mental health looks outside of clinical and medical offices. Mental health is being engaging in life and like getting to know people around you. Like, look, in, in, in order to do that, you have to have some level of vulnerability, which means you have to unpack your issues that you have, and then you feel confident about just, hey, brother, what's your name? Man, that's cool. I seen you, and we just had a conversation, and now here we are, right? This is how mental Ooh, health looks in the community. That's a whole that's a whole nother conversation, too, man. Black <laughs> folks scared to talk to each other, man. <laughs> that's yeah, a whole nother thing. Hey, I, I when I be in New York, you know, I be we got the studio in New York. Every time I go to New York, I be walking past people. Good morning. Folks be looking at me like he ain't friendly, but but yeah, no, the that's, funny a, that's, thing a, that's is, a different atmosphere. But people start to get used to it. So, like the, the guy downstairs at, at the building down there, I speak, man. Everybody starts speaking there. So, you know, but yeah, you, you're right, man. We got to get to a point that we we disrupt all these myths, all these uh traditional things that we've been taught to say, okay, don't do this because 
Um, you know, they might rob you. They might this. Everybody ain't going to everybody ain't going to rob you. Everybody ain't going to try to do things to you. But again, <clears throat> excuse me. That's a whole nother conversation. I got to close <laughs> out. But um, again, if you enjoy Wesley Jackson Wade, his conversation, I need for you to follow him. He gave you all the information needed. And again, hey, tell somebody about understanding the play. I know I bring in people to break down different issues and subjects. I know I help people build their businesses, but guess what? Mental health plays a great deal in building a successful business. So I know you probably said, man, why he's talking about mental health? And when, you know, he talked about building businesses because mental health plays a big role in having a successful business. And you got to be right in your mind. And I tell people this, your business only, it, it only takes the, the um, characteristics of you. So if you're not a good person, your business is not going to be good. You're not going to treat people right. You're going to treat people the same way you treat them as a person in your business. So again, you know, deal with yourself, deal with your mental illness. Don't be scared to go to a counselor. If you're married, man, don't go to, I know we get, we get in arguments, we fuss, we fight, but don't allow your spouse to go to sleep without saying something. I, I, don't, I don't care if you got to say, I'm sorry, I love you. And they don't even pay attention to you. You said it, you know, you got that off you, but we, we got to stop. We got to stop buying into staying mad, staying angry, or it's this person fault. Guess what? Love, you know, love ain't about feelings. It's, it's about fighting for what's right. And again, you know, again, Westman, I appreciate you being on you, you know, talking to you man we know you're a fighter out here because again you, you could have stopped at the first degree with that 2.2 and be like man i'm done <laughs> you had your sales job you had your wife you had your kids you had your family you ain't got to be out here doing this but you're doing it man so i want to applaud you for doing this man and and keep up the great work and again you know want to close out anything you want to close out with just keep going for it Keep going forward. Keep going through. Keep going forward. Keep, Keep going, going forward. forward. I like that. Keep going forward and don't be scared to go through. Even if it seems like it's rough, it's hard, go through it, man, because God got you. But again, I thank you all for being here, for understanding the play. Hey, I love you all. Join me next week. All right.